Okay, this is Iron Sports, where we're pleased to have uh, Jeff Fletcher. He's a writer for the Orange County Register, and he just came out with a book called The Inside Story of Shohei Atani, The Greatest Season Ever Played. Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. All right, thanks for having me. So, Jeff, what made 2021, that's the season, what is it the greatest season ever played? Why is that from Otani? Can you, in most, I think most people's eyes, it is the greatest season ever played. Well, as a two-way player, that pretty much eliminates uh, most every other season. You know, that nobody else has ever been a, a two-way player at his level except for Babe Ruth. And that, so you have to go back to 1918 and 1919 for him. And I think that you can make a case that what Otani did was better than what Babe Ruth did because uh, Ruth only really pitched for half of those seasons. And Otani went wire to wire as a pitcher and a hitter. And I think that just the competition is harder in the major leagues in 2021 than it was in 1918. You know, the, it's integrated and there's much more technology the players use to break each other down. So to stay at that high level, uh, I think for what Otani did, I think was is harder than what Babe Ruth did. And you spent some time talking about Ruth in the book, which is interesting. Things I didn't learn about what he did actually stay in shape, and which everyone has the characterization that he was out of shape. Actually, went in the middle of his career and, and became like this great workout warrior. But the idea is that he never wanted. He pitched. He came out the right as the pitcher. But when he went to the Yankees, he became clearly just a hitter. He didn't want to pitch. Whereas Otani wants to pitch and hit. Ruth said, "I'm done with pitching. I want to be a hitter." Yeah, that is a big difference that I think. The reason I put that in the book is just not a lot of people are aware of it. I think people just knew Babe Ruth was a two-way player, but they didn't really know the story or how long he was a two-way player or how it happened. But And what I would say is it was really he was a two-way player by accident because he was a pitcher who then realized he was a really good hitter. And sort of in the transitional years, while he was going from being a pitcher to a hitter, he did a little of both. And, but that was certainly not like his intention. Uh, and he, as soon as he realized he could hit, he didn't want to pitch anymore. So uh, very different than Otani. And you did mention the Black Leafs, um, Ted Radcliffe, Leon Day, Bula Joe Rogan. In those days when they didn't have – the teams weren't had the complement of 20-some players that you had players that were that probably could have pitched in it but actually didn't in, in, in those leagues. Uh, they, did, they did pitch and they hit in those leagues. Yeah, definitely. That, that's another interesting thing that I enjoyed getting into in the book is – uh, you know, Bob Kendrick, who runs the Negro Leagues uh, Hall of Fame Museum, he said that when Otani did really, you know, shined another spotlight on a lot of these Negro Leagues players that people never heard of because people started looking, well, who else had been a two-way player? And then, you know, you, you go to Babe Ruth, but then in between Ruth and Otani were all these guys who did it in the Negro Leagues. So it was nice to kind of shine a spotlight on some of them, too. And then you mentioned, you know, some other players like a Rick Ankill for the Cardinals started out as a pitcher couldn't pitch anymore, came back five years later and then as a hitter, and then uh, and maybe Brendan McRae from Tampa. So you did bring up some other players that have tried this. Certainly nothing even some close to what Otani was doing. Yeah, the Rick Ankiel thing is interesting because he is sort of, although he actually said he thinks that there will be more two-way players, his career is sort of the proof of why there won't be because uh, he wanted to be a pitcher and hitter coming up but he was just much more advanced as a pitcher. So the Cardinals said, forget it. You're a pitcher. We want you to pitch. You're going to be in the big league soon as a pitcher. And, you know, maybe he needed some more development in the minor leagues, which they weren't going to wait for. So I think that's the problem that another, you know, guys every year, there's a few guys that come into the minor leagues and their teams say, we're going to try them as two way players, but inevitably one side is advanced more than the other. So that's the one that carries them to the big leagues. 
And you mentioned in the book that, going back to, say, Atani, uh, he grew up in the northern part of Japan. Uh, I actually grew up in northern uh, in central Pennsylvania, so it's cold. And, and my trout's in, in New Jersey, so he sort of has something in, in where people maybe overlooked as growing up as a baseball player, even though his mom was an Olympic badminton player, his dad was a pro player. But people overlooked the fact because you're playing in a where there's a snow on the ground most of the time of the year. How can you be a really good baseball player in that situation? Yeah, I think in Japan there's not as many uh, baseball players that come from uh, Iwate, which is up in the northern part, as uh, as other parts of Japan. So he's he's a real special uh, hometown guy to them too. And then when he started out playing Japanese baseball, there was that decision. It's really confusing. Even someone like me who follows this, the whole posting rights. But there was a decision when he was younger whether he could have gone straight to the U.S or he could have signed with the Japanese, Japan, the fighters of the Japanese league. We just had Bobby Valentine time on our show, who brought, talked a little about Japanese baseball uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. But if you sign with the fighters, you had to stay for nine years. I guess he had an agreement with them that he could have left. And also, they said that you could be a two-way player, it, 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 whereas the other teams weren't saying that you could be two-way. Uh, yeah, so in, uh, in Japan, he basically, when he was in high school, he decided that he wanted to go straight to the United States and begin you know, playing in the minor leagues in the U.S. and work towards going to the major leagues, and he was just going to be a pitcher. But what the fighters convinced him of was that if you stay in Japan, we will let you be a two-way player and we will also help develop you better to be eventually in the majors than if you went through the minor league system in the U.S. where they would only let you pitch. And he believed that, and he did it, and so that really helped him a lot because, like we just talked about, you know, in the in the minors in the U.S., if you're better at one than the other, they're just going to, abandoned the other one. Well, in Japan, he actually was better as a pitcher than a hitter, but they still let him develop as a hitter. And so when he was ready to come to the majors in the U.S., he was ready for both. And he took, I guess you said in the book, in 2016, he, he was thinking about coming, and then there was a change in the age. Like, if he would have waited two more years, he could have signed without a posting fee, just signed whatever he wanted. But because he chose at age 23 to come over, ability to sign this huge contract that because he had to then go through a posting. Can you maybe explain what that is about the posting and how that rule really hurt him? You know, the fact that he was only making 2 and $3 million a year and not like $30, $20, $30 million a year. Um, okay, so in uh, the way it used to work was anybody who was under uh, 23, if you were uh, in another, you know, if you were in the Dominican or Japan or wherever, they treated you as a, a free agent. So when you came to the United States, you could be, you could sign for whatever. Then they moved that up to 25. So then the guys who were under 25 were essentially amateurs. So suddenly, even though Otani was 23 years old, had played the highest level in Japan for five years, he was treated the same as some 16-year-old kid in the Dominican Republic. And you know the teams all have their international signing uh, pools, and they're very they're they're fixed. There's no flexibility at all. And they go, you know, at that point in the year, a lot of teams had already used up the money. So the, the most money that any team had was $3.5 million to sign Otani. So basically every team in baseball could afford him, even though he had this, like, star major league talent, which made it a very interesting uh, scenario with the teams trying to recruit him. And then they're also added to the question of, you know, maybe he should just stay for two more years in Japan, wait till he's 25, and then he could – a free agent and get, you know, $200 million. I think the interesting part of that is I think if a major league team would have been investing that much money, they probably would have insisted on him only pitching. And also he did have, uh, 
his elbow, he had a slight uh, grade one sprain of his UCL even back in Japan. So if he'd waited two more years, that might have blown, which it, it did blow in the United States, and uh, that could have affected you know his money too. So it was a very uh, tough decision for him, and ended up working out pretty well. So he mentioned that 27 of the 30 teams were bidding for his services. The Braves, he mentioned the Braves couldn't do it because they were penalized. They weren't allowed to. I don't know what the other two teams, they wouldn't want to have Otani in the team. And, but there was an issue. Was he, was he going to be a DH? Could he only go to American League teams? And sort of, I mean, I think in the paper, people thought, well, the Yankees, they seem like a perfect match. But then it was, it was sort of wide open. And then he narrowed it down to seven. And then, of course, then going to the Angels. Um, I think the... You know, no, he never said he didn't want to play for an uh, East Coast team, but when he narrowed it down to his seven, there were no East Coast teams. <laughs> so it was just uh, all the West Coast teams except the A's and the Rangers and Cubs. And the the thing those teams had in common was they all trained in Arizona, which was a place he'd been familiar with because the, the fighters, his Japanese team, had gone to Arizona a couple times. And, uh, you know, other than that, it was really hard to figure out, like, why he picked those particular teams, but... I think the American League teams certainly had an advantage, too, because I don't think he really wanted to play the outfield when he wasn't pitching. I think he likes just DHing. Uh, so, you know, a West Coast American League team, that doesn't leave you a lot of choices. And so it came down to probably the, the Angels and Mariners. And I think Billy Epler, the uh, Angels GM, now the Mets GM, really uh, kind of won him over in their meeting. <laughs> and that, I'm going to be, you know, certainly – that leads a lot of my friends that are big Mets fans. They're saying, well, if he's a free agent in two years, you know, what's this relationship between Epler and Otani? And is it, could Epler finally say, maybe you know, now we have the DH in the National League. So now you can come and be a National League player and be a DH. Is that a possibility? Well, certainly if Otani does not re-sign with the Angels and he's going to look at other teams as a free agent, the Mets are probably going to be number one on the list of teams that people think he would go to. Uh, because of the Epler factor, because obviously they have lots of money, and obviously they're pretty good. So uh, all of that works in his favor. Uh, the only thing that might work against them is I still don't really think that he would enjoy being in that kind of a media circus, uh, you know, which I think is one of the things he enjoys in with the Angels is that, you know, he's got a pretty low-key life as far as the, uh, the media out here. Um, you know, the Mets are probably still not exactly the Yankees, and, and they could probably shield him to some extent, and uh, he might just be able to put up with it for $500 million. <laughs> and you mentioned that there's like 80 credentialed Japanese reporters, though, that are following now, certainly in Orange County. It's you and it's, it's, it's you and, and other people, but the point is, is that uh, in terms of working with, working at, working in, in, uh, or in, but the Angels, uh, there's still that Japanese push with all those reporters there. You went through in the book how the Angels hired Grace McNamee, who had worked with Hideki Nomo, and who understood how to work with the Japanese media. And those, you even said, how oh, you get interviewed by the Japanese. When they can interview him, they interview you to get your opinion on him. Yeah, there's still a lot of uh, Japanese media that follow him around. It's not 80. It was uh, like at the very beginning. Most of the time now, it's probably 40 to 50. But, uh, you know, still they – he's still pretty shielded from them. I mean, he only talks to them, to, to us, to all of us after he pitches, really. He almost never talks before a game, uh, you know, in a, just a regular game that he was the DH, unless he had two homers or something like that, he's probably not going to talk to us. So, you know, 
I don't know how well that would go over in New York, so we'll see, or should we may see. But uh, <laughs> he 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 does have a a pretty uh, protected uh, life from the media out here with Angels. And then in 2018, when he first came in, the book your book really goes into detail how the he was terrible in spring training. But then people were like, should be sent to the minors. They're like, we're not sending him the minors. We're keeping him here. That's what he's going to be. And then he started out playing great at the beginning of the year before his injury. But that was whole decide of, you know, how many days rest does he have? Because in the end, you have different days of rest, more days of rest, how they're going to handle it. And they're still, even to this day, I mean, I turned on Chris Dog Russo, and he's screaming, you know, Otani should just play one position. So, I mean, that was from 2018 till now. People are saying, you know, only play, only pitch or hit, don't do both. There's still a lot of debate about uh what he should do. Although you would think that the way he performed last year should have ended all that. And people realized that that worked out pretty well, what the angels were doing, but there are still people that think that, you know, even John Smoltz talks about it on TV. You know, if he only pitched, he would be so great. He'd be Jacob deGrom or, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't think that's true. Personally. I think that he really enjoys doing both. And I think that he's better at both by doing both. Because uh, when he was only a hitter, when he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, he wasn't as good a hitter because he really just needed, he he focused too much on hitting and he took too many swings in the cage and just kind of drove himself crazy. So I, I think it helps him to do both things. Yeah, I mean, he was rookie of the year in 2018, 23 home runs after he got injured. And then to, in 2019, he only hit, but really had a bad year and then had knee surgery. Uh, and then he's been through with different managers. You had Sosha uh, and Asmus, and then you had Bill Madden, and, and it's, uh, you know, now he's Nevin. I mean, he's gone through so many different managers. But I guess you, and your book says, it goes through in 2021, before the season, he's like, I'm going to have to figure out a way to stay healthy. I'm going to figure out a way to improve. And he went to this driveline baseball that really improved his game and made him this great player for the great season 2021. Um, you know, driveline uses a lot of high tech stuff to, to not only analyze your delivery and your swing, but your, your fitness levels. And uh, one of the really important things that he did up there was he got these measurements on his, you know, fatigue levels and his energy levels. So he could know, for example, like after he's thrown 30 pitches in a bullpen, how much does that affect his energy when he goes to hit? You know, and after he's pitched a game, how much does it affect him going to hit and, and vice versa and all that kind of stuff that they didn't really know about as much before. So they were kind of guessing like, oh, after he pitches, he needs the day off and so on and so forth. And and I think that once he got that kind of empirical data from driveline, that really kind of helped for the Angels to say, you know, in 2021, all right, now we, we really know when he needs a day off and when he doesn't. So let's just let him play. And I think that was really what kind of unlocked his success. And then you mentioned how Joe Madden came in and said, There's, they're taking the training wheels off. Where you're going to play, you're going to, the days that you pitch, uh, where you're still going to hit. The day after you pitch, you still are going to hit. The day before you pitch, you're still going to hit. I mean, he played 152 out of 162 games, 639 at bats, with very few days off for anything. Um, and I think that sort of, that, you know, created this idea that, no, we're not babying him. We're actually going to play him all the time. And he's a hitter. And, and you had mentioned in the book how in some of the games he was taken out as a hitter, as a pitcher, and he still stayed in and kept hitting. Uh, well, last year, before they changed the rules, they had to put him into right field to, to do that. So he would it was kind of the opposite of a double switch. They would take him from the mound and put him into right field, and he'd play an inning there and then uh, until he got one more at bat. Uh, so that's not ideal. They didn't really like doing that because, you know, it 
messes up their batting order and it runs the risk of him getting hurt out there. So they are very appreciative when uh, Major League Baseball changed the rules this year so you could stay as the DH for the whole game even when you were done pitching. Wow, wow. That, was, that, that was a big thing. And then what? And this year has not been the year that 2021 was. It's been sort of a struggle, but it's also a, it's a continuation that the Angels, with expectations every year with Trout, Rendon, and, and Otani, everyone's like, it's like next year, next year, next year, and it's just another frustrating year. You're covering the team. I just saw you had a, a tweet out that, you know, 16,000 in attendance. That type of thing. It's just been that frustrating. I think his year has been good, but not great like last year, but still it's it's frustrating for the team's success. Well, there's no question the team has been terrible, uh, pretty much. Uh, they started out 27 and 17. Everybody got excited about it. And since then, they've been horrendous. I think like uh, 13 and 40 or something like that. It's been really bad. Uh, you know, their their farm system has just not been good for a long time. And so they just don't have enough good young players coming up around Otani, Trout, and, and Rendon, who's been hurt a lot. So that's why they just don't have the depth to win. So as for Otani's season, you know, it, it's been uh, he's been probably worse as a hitter, but he's been probably better as a pitcher this year. So uh, it's still not, it's not as good as last year, but it is still very good. It's the second greatest baseball season ever played, for sure. <laughs> We're talking to Jeff Fletcher, who wrote Showtime, the inside story. Shohei Otani, he works for the Orange County Register and covers Otani, probably the best expert at it. He's been covering him since he came into the league every single game. So what what he has now this year, he's under contract. Next year, um, and I guess they still have him under uh, contract in 2023 in terms of an arbitration. And then he's a free agent. And, and I think that's the question I told people I'm interviewing you. And, and every person I've mentioned that to says, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? Are the angels going to trade him? And I guess what's your sense? I mean, it seems like it changes every day, but what's your sense in terms of the angels? I mean, they've locked up trout, but what are they going to do with Otani? Well, they're not going to trade him. I can tell you that much. Uh, they're, they're certainly not going to trade him, you know, before the trading deadline right now. And I think the only way they would trade him in the off season is if they get back a package that makes them better in 23 not necessarily like building for the future, a bunch of prospects that are going to be better in 25. So I don't know that another team would do that. So I think that's probably not going to happen either. I think they're just going to keep Otani through 23. They're going to try to sign him to a long-term deal between now and the end of the 23 season. And they're going to try to win as much as they can in the 23 season. And at the end of all that, they'll just see what happens. I think they would rather uh, just, keep him and try to win with him and even at the risk of losing him for nothing than trading him away and making a bad trade and not getting guys that help you and then you also don't have like this historic player on your team. I mean, very similar to the Soto situation with Washington because like you're going to make this trade and what can you get unless you're really going to rebuild. I mean, they might just want, but I think that that's a, that's a good analysis of it. Um, I think this, it's a big. It's very different than the Soto situation, by the way, because the Nationals don't have any other superstars, so they can just be bad for a few years, which, which they've done, and it's not a big deal. The Angels still have Mike Trout sitting there, so you can't just trade away Otani and tell Mike Trout, "Hey, we're going to be bad for the next two years. Just hang with us," because Mike Trout is not getting any younger. So uh, if they are going to trade Otani, they probably also have to trade Mike Trout, and he's not that easy to trade because he's makes a lot of money and he's getting older and, and all these other things. So I think it's, it's a different situation than the nationals. 
you think Otani, is he looking at that, a 10-year, $500 million contract? He'll be, what, 29 when he's up? Is that, is that sort of what he's looking for in a contract? And is that somewhere where it's, it could be? Or is, is someone willing, you know, so with his injury history, that's a huge risk for him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say because nobody knows how long he can be a two-way player. I don't think he's going to be a two-way player for 10 years. Uh, is it going to be two more years, five more years, seven more years? I mean, nobody knows. So that makes figuring out what his contract is going to be really hard. And besides that, just figuring out what he should make on an annual basis is really hard because he's two players, essentially. But if you pay him as two full players, then that sort of eliminates the whole value of him. The whole, the whole bonus to having him on your team is that you get two for one. But if you're <laughs> just going to have to pay him two guys' salary, then, you know, it's not as big a deal, you know? So a lot of teams have a hitter like Otani and a pitcher like Otani. But what's special about Otani is the Angels have them both in one guy. And you said earlier in the interview, he seems to like Orange County. He likes the Angels. He likes California. He's comfortable there. That that has to be some factor in terms of what he's where he's thinking, and it's closer to Japan, I guess. So that would be so, could that be a factor in his decision? I mean, when he picked the Angels in the first place, they had not won anything, and he still picked them. And they didn't have the most money to offer him, even in the small differences that there were among teams in their international bonus pool, the Angels were not one of the bigger ones. So he, he picked them because he was comfortable there. He liked the area, he liked the people. So that kind of stuff matters to him. I don't, you know, obviously he wants to win. Everybody wants to win. But I don't know, you know, he doesn't really say, like, what's his most important thing? Is his most important thing getting the most money or winning the World Series or being left alone by the media or being closer to Japan or whatever? We don't know. So we'll, we'll find out, I guess, in about 15 <laughs> but you months. Mentioned, you mentioned he gets along. He's a good teammate. I mean, you say you, you went through the book. It's like his English is not – I mean, we don't know what how his English is. He doesn't really talk in it, with anybody. But he gets, seems to get along with the other players. They joke around with him. They kid around with him. He seems to be a team player. Everybody likes him. Sort of a team player playing two positions. But he seems to be a popular player that people like. Oh, for sure. Everybody loves him. He's uh, He's not aloof in any way, even though he is – in a class by himself. He doesn't act that way around his teammates. He's, uh, he, he's a very good teammate. Everybody has no problem with him. And you mentioned, I think, back when he was in Japan, he had to, like the manager said, that the pitchers had to like do the cleaning of all the restrooms or something because they didn't want to feel special like their off days while the other players are playing. So he probably learned it from those days. Yeah, that was in high school. His high school coach had the, it was like a boarding school, and the, the players all lived in the dorm and they had jobs to do when they weren't playing baseball and uh, the pitcher's job was cleaning the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the AAU, AAU basketball players don't do that. <laughs> but Jeff, it's just an honor to have you on our show. I, I, I read you whenever there's a story about Otani, it's like you're the first story that comes up and I encourage people to go out and get the book Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all the bookstores. Uh, it just came out this week. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about their book and about Shohei Otani and going to be excited what's going to happen the rest of the year next year and where he's going to be playing for the rest of his career. Yeah, it will be. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Okay.